Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, welcome to The Call on Ausbiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets service. Uh, great to have your company. It's just gone midday Eastern. That means it's time for The Call. Ten stocks, two experts, and we get through it all in 60 minutes to give you a bit of direction. You suggest the stocks. And today we've got uh, one of the old stages on The Call, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. I mean that not by your age, Marcus, but that you're... You're um, experienced on the call. Yes, no, and thank, we thank go. You, we love having you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and all, also, be kind today. I will be kind, Henry, because we've got a newbie on the call today, which we're very excited about. Vincent Cook from Climb Asset Management. Uh, Vincent, welcome to Ausbiz and also the call. Good to have your company. How's your week been? Oh, very good, thanks. Started off. Uh, started off well. Yep, good, excellent. That's what Big we want. Moves in the banks today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, are you are you at home or are you still in uh, isolation mode, or are you in the office? This is my living room setup. I've got um, I've got my office set up here that I've been uh, working from for the last X number of weeks. Ah, oh, excellent. Well, and the gradual move back. Very good of you to dress up with a with a collar and tie. You're still at home. Uh, we won't ask what's downstairs. It's probably the board shorts, <laughs> is it? Got, got the serious pants on. Helps with the... Uh... Yep, all right. Okay, let's get into it. And of course, before we get into your 10 stocks, um, we do a stock of the day. thought today we'd take a look at Linus, um, who has been in the... Uh, in the news a fair bit the last couple of days. It's, of course, the Rare Earth Group. It's had a bit of a mention on the call in the past. Received a setback to its US expansion plans after a political debate on whether the US should source rare earths onshore. Uh, has held up potential project funding from the US Department of Defence. However, Linus's chief executive says the expansion plans remain unaffected and the project is not reliant on the Department of Defence's decision. Uh, Vincent, let's kick off with you. Um, it was an interesting call from um, uh, the Linus Chief Executive to really clear that up with the market. A lot of debate, because most of the rare earth in, in the world comes out of China, doesn't it? And we know the issues between China and, uh, and the United States at the moment. And Linus was hoping that would be a bit of a, a leg up for them. What do you think of Linus and, and what's going on? 
It's, uh, it's been a, quite an interesting journey for, for shareholders and Linus over the years. Uh, even in the last three months, the stock price has halved and then virtually doubled again. They are, I think, in a very interesting position in terms of global supply chains for, for rare earths. The US is currently dependent on China, which is supplying around 80% of global rare earths. Uh, but there is, a, there, there is a will in the US to get domestic supply going. Uh, while on the other hand, Linus is probably the easiest solution to, vers- to diversify source. I think, you know, in, in the short term, the NDA, NDPR price has come off a lot in the last couple of years. So that's obviously negative for the valuation and earnings. But I think uh, long term, they're in a strategically um, very interesting position. Um, so I'd probably call it a, a long term buy. Okay, long term buy from uh, from Vincent. Henry, what do you think of it? Because it's, is it why? Because the problem is rare earth isn't that rare, is it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of it. There's the problem is it. it's all, all yep. in China. Yep. Um, so Linus is a bit unique because it's in Malaysia, isn't it? It's mine, I think. Uh, the mine itself is Mount Weld in Western Australia. Oh, Western Australia. So that's right. where they dig it up from. Yeah. The problem with rare earths is it's a pretty dirty process. Uh, and they and, refine it. And as yeah. a result, it gets very political. So they refine it and they, they do the processing in Malaysia because there was nowhere here that would yeah. <laughs> basically do it. Yeah. So um, they, they moved there. They had their plant up in Malaysia, the lamp plant, um, which has been uh, a subject of some serious political football from time to time with the locals. Um, certainly with local government. At times they've had mining, they've had processing bans slapped on them and they've also had uh, sort of good news from, from various authorities over there. So at the moment that's the political football there and to counter that they've looked at building a processing plant in Western Australia right. uh, which is going to require around half a billion dollars in capex. Uh, and then the US popped up because it is political rare earths because most of it's made in China and the more they argue with China the more attractive Linus becomes to them. And they talked about having a trial in uh, the US. Now, that's got political as well because they want to see small US rare earths providers kind of provide the US rather than Aussie. So I think Amanda's done a fantastic job with this company. She's done a great job. And it is a political kind of minefield to navigate really whether you know, whether you go in Malaysia and keep going there or whether you try and build the Western Australia plant yeah. or now there's this US option which may or may not be on the card. So uh, for me, like Vincent, it's, it's a long-term buy. The problem has been the underlying price of the commodity has been soft. This is used yeah. in missile systems, etc., yeah. yeah. um, plasma TV, smartphones. So the commodity underlying has been soft, um, but the long-term outlook for the company, I think, is, is still quite good. But it has got significant risk depending on which yeah. way the wind blows in Malaysia yeah. at the moment. Uh, let's get to your stocks now, the uh, the 10 that you've sent us to uh, to comment on today. And uh, Vincent Opthia, um, I'd never actually heard of it until I looked it up and then the name sort of gives it away, a biotech uh, treating eye disease. Yeah, it's an interesting business. Um you know, the stock does have the advantage in the current environment that it's success or failure. has nothing to do with what's going on in the broader economy. Um, it's, uh, it's all about whether they're successful in their clinical trials and then whether their, product, or their products can be adopted uh, by clinicians in the marketplace. Um, although, surprisingly, the stock price did more than halve through this crisis before then doubling from the lows to get back to around $3.00. They do have cash on the balance sheet, which is always important for these early stage businesses. 
Uh, they've fortuitously raised $50 million at the end of last year, so they're in, in no immediate need of capital, except uh, they will need funding to move forward with their phase three trial to get their lead product uh, to market, hopefully. Um, they are going after a very large addressable market, uh, which makes it attractive. Um, around uh, north of US $10 billion in revenues um, being spent mm. to treat the, these diseases. Um, and they had some, some exciting phase two trial results last year against the current standard of care. So there's certainly some positives for Opthia, uh, but it, it is a pre-revenue company. It's still got some major hurdles to overcome. They've got to fund this phase three trial. They need to be successful. And then they need to prove that they can be adopted uh, by medical practitioners. N none of those things are certain. Um, even if the trial results are statistically or clinically significant, um, take up can be slower or less than expected. Um, as I said, they're, they're tackling a very large market, uh, so that is attractive. Um, but I think you'd want to hold this as part of a, a diversified portfolio of similar mm -hmm. exposures. Climb typically avoids these uh, pre-revenue type companies. 800 mil market yet today is, is factoring a degree of commercial success, but it, it could be worth more than that if it's successful um, or, or less if it's, if it's unsuccessful. Um, but um, I'd, I'd probably say this one's a speculative buy. Right. Um, Henry, what do you reckon? Well, I think Vincent's covered it, basically. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> He's stolen all my thunder. Yeah, these, these guys are looking uh, at a phase 2A trial. They've just completed that. So it's, um, they're looking now at the data in terms of safety and efficacy uh, going forward. It's an $800 million market cap, as Vincent says. These biotechs tend to be binary outcomes to some extent. Um, if it doesn't work, you're, you're a bit stuffed. Right. Um, and phase three trials are expensive, although they've got cash on the balance sheet, as Vincent says. Um, and, and they got the cash recently. At, the, at the higher yep. share price too, didn't it, before yep. the March they crash, did, they didn't which have, is smart. <laughs> which is smart in hindsight. I mean, everything's <laughs> yeah, good yeah. in hindsight. That's right. Um, and of course, Blackmore's doing it today at, yes, exactly. uh, in the middle of this, uh, this epidemic. So um, it's bounced a long way. Yes. There's a lot of hope built into this. It's had some good results. I think at best at the moment it's a hold. For me, there's probably better biotechs um, further down the line that interests me right. at the moment. But uh, it, as, as Vincent says, it's a big market, yeah. uh, diabetic macular uh, edema. Um, so it's got attractions, but it's not, you know, it's nearly $800 million company. Yeah, it's nearly it's a big, billion dollars that, uh, you know, it's, it's not small by any stretch of the imagination. It's not an emerging one. But um, yeah, so I'd say it's a hold, but okay. um, there's more appeal. How, how do you judge biotechs? Because we have a lot on the market, don't we, at different stages of yep. development. And even even Opfia, you saw the its five-year chart yep. sort of bubbling along at 30 cents and then whooshka, yep. it, it goes up. Um, uh, biotechs are really hard because... Look at it, that, beginning of last year. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's a... Fairly phenomenal performance, but again, yeah. you know that those good results. That's what drives these things: results. Yeah. And, and it's very hard for the layperson, and even you know people like myself. And I'm sure Vincent falls into this basket as well, unless he's a biotech expert to actually evaluate them. So all you can really yeah. go on is, is what you're seeing from the from the results and trying to understand what they are, and looking at the potential market as well, how big it is. Um, you know, one that I followed for a long time is Mesoblast, yes, well, which yeah. uh, you know stem cells. They've got a potential sort of treatment maybe for for COVID, uh, for COVID <laughs> which you know everyone's got really excited yeah. about but these if guys, you're a decent biotech you've got to mention COVID in your story ex at least. exactly or at least at some least sort of testing it, yeah. regime <laughs> I guess for me the the the, uh, the thing to look for is diversity of of, yeah. of product because if you're just banking on one drug 
ah, working right. and it fails in phase two or three or whatever, then you are stuffed. So you yeah. really need to get a, a diversity of product range okay. and suite and different timelines as well. Yeah. So that even if one fails, there's another one coming along. Right. It's a bit like buses, I guess, you know, yeah. if you miss one bus, yeah. you hope there's another one coming so along. So if you can keep in a specialty, whether it's respiratory or something like that, but have a few different You, you kind of want big addressable markets, um, a good qualified management that have done it before, good scientists on board, yeah. a good advisory panel, and also that diversity of product suite coming through, not necessarily just that one product that's going to be a killer one, because if it isn't, you yeah, yeah. are in trouble. Yeah, you're, you're betting the house on it. Yeah, you are betting the house on it. Exactly. All right, uh, Optiera, uh, speculative buy from uh, Windsor, yeah. uh, Vincent Henry, um, a hold for it. Our, our second stock, Vincent, uh, we go to the, the other extreme, a totally different sector now, um, Tabcorp, the big, uh, the big gaming business. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, coming into an interesting period with the resumption of NRL and AFL, so it'll be interesting to see how earnings play out for Tabcorp. I imagine Australians are very keen to get that sport back on their TVs, and I think the demand for wagering will be there. Um, but uh, they do have some com competition. High unemployment is going to have an impact. Uh, we're still to see the exact timing for relaxation of restrictions uh, in venues across the different states. Um, the company has had to suspend some payments from owners of venues who are obviously generating no revenue through this period. The lottery's business is really the jewel in the crown. Uh, contributed just over half of the company's revenues last year and is typically pretty resilient um, to economic conditions. Uh, uh, punters, or, uh, participants, players can go online and, and continue purchasing lotteries through the, this period. There is a pure play exposure to online lotteries uh, on the ASX, which is Jumbo Interactive, also focused on the online space. Um, but uh, online is, is garnering an increasing share of sales over time. Tabcorp also has a lot of debt. Um, they've had to seek covenant waivers through this period and also suspend the final dividends. So that's not an ideal position to be uh, when facing an uncertain earnings environment. In terms of valuation, if you look at what they earned last year, it's trading on an 18 times PE. So that's a reasonable discount to where it has been trading over the last few years, which averaged around 23 times. But it could take a number of years to get back to that level of earnings. Um, so I'd call it a, I'd call it a hold um, or even potentially a sell. Okay. Um, would you is Jumbo Interactive a better option than Tab Corp in this market? I think Jumbo is a more interesting business. The pure play lotteries exposure. So you know their sales, if anything, have benefited um, from this period uh, because people are unable to, or it becomes more difficult to get to your convenience store. Uh, so they look for the online solution, which is there, and you learn how easy it is. You can sign up, um, and um, you're a recurring customer. It's high margin, and they have, they've got some upside potential in terms of selling their software globally. You know, the, 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 the elephant in the room, the risk that's always there is their relationship with Tabcorp, uh, but they are a significant source of sales for Tabcorp. And it, it would be a big move by Tabcorp to, to just, um, to, you know, mess, mess, mess with that contract. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think you can view them similarly to, to a, another tell. Okay. All right. Henry? Um, yeah, Tabcorp, I mean, it's had a big bounce off its lows. I think debt is the big issue. Um, clearly, you know, it's geared up to the reopening of the economy in terms yeah. of RSLs and the keynote, etc. Um, horse racing has been continuing in most states. 
so that has given them some income in the short term. Yeah. Um, and someone was telling me the only football uh, in the world was the Belarusian uh, <laughs> soccer league or something, and they still had Australians betting on it. <laughs> um, I think that is the way of things. I saw that in the US, the, one of the biggest betting markets is on competitive food eating. No. Yep, that, oh that was, God. I saw that from, right. uh, from a okay. statistical thing. Um, competitive food eating. Apparently it's not what you think, but it, it's certainly what I thought. Um, so yes, I mean, it's, it's got some attractions as the economy opens up for sure, but the yeah. debt is an issue um, at the moment. It's probably a sort of a grind higher kind of situation at the moment right. for me. As far as Jumbo goes, but we talked about this um, a yeah, couple of weeks couple ago, weeks I think, ago. the fact that it's 2020, not 2019, yeah. uh, and their 2021 is when they uh, have their contract expires with Tabcorp for that yeah. lottery provision. Now, the chances are it's not going to be a big problem, but it's just focused the market, I think, short term on the fact that we're getting closer to that decision. Right. And uh, that is a binary outcome as well, to some extent, for Jumbo, right. because it is such a massive part of their business. If they lost that, it would be uh, problematic to say the least. Yep. Okay. So, is that built into that jumbo share price at the moment? That I think I think it is. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to get some clarity from Tabcorp. Tabcorp are a big shareholder in Jumbo. Um, oh. It would also be nice to get some big, um, you know, some big lotteries up there because they, they do very well when we see these big jackpots. Oh yeah. Um, you know, twenty million doesn't really stir the, the juices anymore. It has yeah. to be a. 50, 60, 80, 100 jackpotting, yeah. um, lots of press coverage and media coverage kind of, I know 20 million to change your life, but you know, the, the, the imagination gets so much greater, I think, when there's an 80 million jackpot available or a 100 million jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that really does drive business and that, that business is sticky as well because then they can then market to those uh, that database as well, which is uh, which is a serious yeah. positive. It becomes a habit. Yeah, doesn't? it does. A habit. It does. Well, I do it. God. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm a mug. I'm a, I'm a mug. I'll put my twenty bucks in for, yeah, the, yeah. for the pick eight numbers of the kids' birthdays and yeah, you know absolutely. forget about it. And every and now and then. And you dream of buying Necker Island off of I Richard dream Branson. Buy, exactly. <laughs> dream of helping support Richard Branson yeah. going into space or doing whatever. <laughs> All right. Our third stock, uh, Vincent, is Amcor, the packaging company, but but has received a fair bit of attention over the last, during this pandemic because of its, its healthcare products it produces too. Yeah, um, I, I put a buy on, on Amcor. It is a good defensive business. Essentially all their sales are, are for consumer staples or healthcare. Um, current consensus is for 7% earnings per share growth this year, which compares to the average industrial company, which is currently expected to go backwards by around 15%. Um, around half of their earnings is driven by uh, cost synergies from the Bemis acquisition. Uh, that's a nice way to be generating earnings growth at the moment. It's within the control of the company rather than being dependent on the macro economy. Most recent updates from the company have also been positive. Um, consensus earnings expectations have actually been revised up through this calendar year despite the pandemic, um, which is an impressive result. And the company upgraded net profit guidance this month by 2% and now expecting 11 to 12% earnings per share growth this financial year. And that tight guidance range is also an encouraging indicator of a defensive business where management knows where earnings are going. And in terms of valuation, it doesn't look bad either. 14.5 times forward PE and a healthy 4.9% dividend yield, which is paid quarterly, albeit it is um, unfranked. Um, so I, I think uh, I think uh, Amcor's a buy for me. Okay, Henry has had a uh, a big bounce back though, hasn't it? <laughs> it's funny when you look at 
the charts of everything. Yeah. You could just ignore March. If you ignored March, all the yeah. charts would look relatively normal. And, and you know, that, that big, big spike down in March madness is, is just shows what a massive opportunity it was to buy yeah. these sorts of companies like Amcor. Very defensive, got a great broad range of products, very diversified. Um, it's got a good acquisition under the belt with Bemis as well. Um, so Vincent's right. I mean, for me, this is, this is still a buy, not the most exciting uh, going forward. Um, but of course, there are opportunities when you do get March Madness or something that, like that happens to top up with these, uh, these really good quality blue chip defensive stocks. And okay. I think unlike some of the other um, Aussie companies that try to make company changing acquisitions, and I'm, I'm really thinking Borrell at the moment, um, yeah. is one that really seems to have stuffed it up a bit. Um, Amcor seems to have actually produced the goodies with this one. Okay. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's again, it's, a, it's certainly a, a, a buy, but uh, there's probably more spectacular recovery stocks, I guess, around now. That I mean, we're seeing it today with the banks. I mean, that's yeah. that's the big sector that we have seen really lagging the market. And you can see today the, the, the skerrick of good news. Hmm. And you've got some of these banks up seven or eight percent, which is which is unheard of. I looked at it a minute ago, and I think sixty odd five, sixty to sixty-five points of the index today is just banks' movements, and we're wow. down what four points. Yep. So without the banks, we'd be down seventy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, but yeah, Amcor definitely on the buy side. Okay. So, quality stock. Quality stock. One of those foundation stocks in a portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Gives yep. you a dividend yield. Yeah. It ticks a lot of boxes. Still well, well valued. Yeah. And okay. well managed as well. All right. So, uh, so, a good wrap there for Amcor. Our fourth stock, uh, Vincent, uh, Objective. It's a technology platform business with, with big government clients. Uh, someone. Put it to me, it's a baby technology one. That would be a, a big wrap because technology one has had a, had a screaming couple of months, hasn't it? Uh, what do you think of objective and, and is that a fair comparison? Um, I, haven't, I haven't looked at objective court uh, a lot in the past, but it is, it is a digital business, which is an attractive place to be in the current environment. It's also focused on government customers, so it's got a resilient demand profile. Uh, it's an owner-managed business, which we like, two-thirds owned by the CEO, Tony Walls. Uh, that also means there's relatively limited liquidity from a fund manager's perspective, but probably not an issue for retail investors. They have uh, The business has very high customer retention. It's got offshore growth potential. Uh, arguably, that is reflected in the share price. It's been hitting record highs recently, above $7. It's just below that now. Um, in terms of valuation, 47 times Ford PE for a company growing around 30% doesn't seem unreasonable, uh, although they are in part growing through acquisition. I think you can buy Appen on a slightly lower multiple for a similar growth rate. Uh, Tech One, probably a similar multiple as well. Uh, so I'd call objective a hold. Okay, a hold. Do you uh, is there? Would you be more inclined to get into Tech One or Appen? Yeah, I think uh, Appen especially. I think there's um, upside in terms of both earnings and the valuation. You know, one of the few companies hitting or upgrading um, earnings expectations through this period. Tech Tech One's extremely defensive and good growth, although valuation probably a little bit more stretched there. Yeah. Um, Henry, um, you're a kind of objective. 
Yeah, it's good. I, I, you know, when you read through a lot of these company, along the, a lot of these IT companies, they all seem to be suckling quite nicely from the government contracts. Yeah. The government seems to be spending a lot of money on IT at the moment. Um, and but not uh, only here, but around the world. Around the world, yeah. yes. And, you know, certainly they're, they're a massive big client. Um, yeah, no, it looks good. I mean, it's, it's very thin, even for retail customers. You know, I think the volume today is, what, 6,000 shares? Mm, okay. um, you know, 68% owned by, by the founder and the owner, basically. Um, so it's almost like a compliance listing in some respects. 600-odd, 680-odd uh, million market cap. So not a lot of free float out there. I, I think this is a good stock. Sticky earnings, uh, annual recurring revenue is very high, around 75%. And so it, it ticks a lot of boxes. Great contracts, great customers, it's expanding, it's acquisitions. There's always a bit of a risk, I guess, about acquisitions because companies that aren't used to acquiring things can sometimes bite off more than they chew, than can chew. And I think we saw a little bit of that with WiseTech when it was, it seemed every day there was another acquisition from WiseTech. You know, it just, it was racing. Uh, buying stuff, and I think there, there then becomes a period of consolidation. But this one looks pretty good. I wouldn't be yeah. uh, I wouldn't be averse to holding this. So if you put it in that, as Vincent was saying, that sort of trio of technology one, objective, Appen. Yeah. Um, what's got the the best potential of I those think three? For me, Appen. Yeah. I, I think their their business model is good. And I noticed the other day I was shopping on Amazon. They're now going to be doing Alexa in your car oh. there's a car alexa so you can ask your alexa yeah. um, you just put it on your dashboard so a lot of the, the the you know the software that we're we're interacting with now is becoming voice activated and, and it is becoming this ai thing and yeah. you know those of you and that's what appen really specializes that's what appen really specializes in yeah. so you know making um computer software digitally friendly for voicing um yeah. and, and activation I think is a big business going forward. And we'll get to the stage, you know, we've seen the science fiction movies when you're asking your computer <laughs> and, you know, my wife does it and Siri doesn't always answer the right. And we've got, we've got, we've got Google at home and, and, you know, you yeah. say, okay, Google, play this. And sometimes it gets it right. Sometimes it gets it wrong. Alexa seems to be actually the worst of all of them. It has no clue. Uh, wow. sometimes about what you're talking about. But it is a massive growth opportunity, that interaction with, with software. And I think Appen, yeah. for me, stands out as okay. the one there. All right. Um, our fit stock today, uh, Vincent, is we're going from high tech to uh, uh, almost the ag business. Uh, Costa Group, uh, agricultural group, mainly specialising in berries and, and that end of the market. Uh, use of the private company of... Frank Costa, before it was uh, was floated, the former president of the Geelong AFL club, so uh, basically the king of Geelong, Frank Costa. What do you what do you think of the listed stock? The stock price is a long way from the high of eight dollars, trading around three dollars twenty, but earnings are also a long way from the highs. Um, shares on issue have also increased, and it still trades on a fairly high PE on, on look forward earnings, um, low to mid twenty times depending on what those earnings turn out to be, which I think is fairly high given the evidently high agricultural risk, notwithstanding the diversification they do have across different uh, produce. Um, I, I personally prefer companies where I can model out with some degree of confidence where earnings are going to be over the next three, five or even ten years, and it's probably hard to, to put this company into that category. On the positive side, the balance sheet 
is in reasonably good shape after that equity raising in the second half of last year. They also refinanced and increased their debt facilities. Uh, with the last quarterly update, they said they're maintaining operational activity across their farms, so it's good to see that. And they've had some rain, so better seasonal conditions uh, in Australia coming into the harvest. Uh, although they also withdrew earnings guidance last month, um, notwithstanding the fact that most of their earnings are coming through this half. Um, and even if, if they did hit the, the prior guidance, it'd still be around a 22 times PE. Uh, so given the PE and earnings risk, um, I'd still consider it to be a hold. Okay. Yep. Henry? Ag stocks are really hard, aren't they? Uh, really hard. <laughs> really hard. You know, just, I, I, I followed Costa for a while, and you know, yeah. just when you think you've got a handle on it, you kind of, there's a problem in Morocco with berries or yep. there's a problem with avocados. And it's yeah. just it's just kind of, for me, it's in the too hard basket. Yeah. I even got the stage where I was wandering into Woolies and taking pictures. This was with Julia Lee as well. We we're having competitions about the price of uh, blueberries. <laughs> um, you know, when they were down at $2.50, they seemed yeah. to be giving that. There seemed to be a, an absolute... Um, you know, so many blueberries around now. I think they're up to seven fifty, eight bucks. Strawberries, you can't get strawberries. Um, so these are all Costa products as well. Um, avocados too, uh, very much the Costa product. It's it's just hard to get yeah. enthused about that at the moment. There's so many. It's, I guess it's a question of where you put your firepower at the moment. There's so many stocks that have been beaten down and smashed that have that, as Vincent says, that certainty or at least more certainty going out without. You know, you've got coronavirus. And then you've got the weather with um, with, with yeah. Costa Group, whereas and, and not just the weather here. No, 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 not just it's the weather, weather here. around the, the world. Weather, the weather in China, <laughs> the weather in Morocco. Yeah. You know, and then the demand cycle. It's it's so you know for me, if you want to go ag, I think you know for me, Elders still stands out as yeah. the one. At least it's got some diversity of earnings. Um, if you can get over the Bayer thing, maybe New Farm. Um, yeah. But otherwise, Costa. I've I've played with it before, and it's kind of bitten me on the. On the, on, on the avocado once yeah, or twice. And you're not going to get bitten twice. And I'm yeah. not going to get bitten twice by the same blueberry. Well, and, yeah. and look at elders over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, been, been, it's been great. Yeah, I've, I've had them in, in my uh, small cap portfolio from time to time. Ah. Um, and it's done really well. I got out too early. I got out around 8.60, I think it was. Right. Um, and they just kept on going. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just it's a really tough space to be in the yeah. thing because it's, it's just so dependent on weather. And yeah. that's even harder to predict than Corona. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Okay. So uh, a no for Costa there. We're halfway through the 10 stocks that um, you've sent through to us. Thank you for that. Uh, our stock of the day, Linus, uh, both Vincent and Henry saying, look, interesting business, uh, maybe a long-term hold, uh, that rare earth, depending on what happens in the United States. Optia, uh, a hold from Henry, a speculative buy only from, uh, from Vincent. No on Tab Corp. Uh, Amcor comes up uh, pretty well, um, even at, uh, at these valuations. Good, solid stock for, for any portfolio. Uh, objective, uh, a hold for Vincent. Um, interesting to, uh, to Henry, but both Vincent and Henry saying they prefer Appen if you put uh, objective in that technology one, Appen trio. Uh, Appen has the best potential. And a no for Costa, if you're looking at the ag business, maybe Elders uh, is a better bet. Uh, let's go on to the second half of uh, the 10 that you've suggested. Um, let's go back to the building materials side. And Vincent Adelaide Brighton. Yes, um, well, they've renamed themselves 
Ed Bry, they, they've, they've had a, a tough couple of years for earnings and expectations have been falling as well over the last couple of years, even before this COVID shock. And the balance sheet's okay, around 1.7 times net debt to EBITDA. We've got no near-term debt maturities, um, but uh, construction's, I think, a difficult place to be at the moment. Uh, in mining, their largest exposure is to alumina, and the alumina price is down around 40% this year, which I think more than offsets the strength in the gold price. And then the residential outlook is um, troublesome. They've got limited exposure to infrastructure, which is probably the, the best place to be in construction at the moment. They have targeted some cost savings this year, um, which net out around 10 mil, which is meaningful, around 6% relative to the profit before tax they made last year. In terms of the valuation, it's on a 16 and a half times forward PE, which is slightly below the average of the last three years at 17 and a half times. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's cheap given the earnings uncertainty. Forecast to pay a reasonable dividend yield, dividend yield 3.6% fully franked, uh, but I don't think that all adds up to adequate compensation for the risk to earnings. Okay, all right, Henry. Uh, well, of, co of course, as the president of the Port Adelaide Football Club, the the Taj Mahal <laughs> of Port Adelaide is the big cement stack yeah. from uh, Adelaide Brighton Cement uh, on the Torrens River there that you can see from all over Port Adelaide. So Yeah, it's, it's an interesting name change as well, Adbri. Yeah, I know. I mean, some marketing guru came up with that one. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it was a really big departure and really worth the extra from the logo side of things. I guess... Um, as Vincent said, I think there's better value elsewhere, better better looking stocks elsewhere, uh, very much geared to that mining sector, that alumina sector. The big potential, I guess, positive is that there is uh, some sort of corporate action with the Barrow Group, right. um, which is lurking in the background. They're the biggest yep. shareholder. And Adelaide Brighton or Adbri um, have said that they're open to a potential merger. Yep. So that is, I guess, the only attraction for me right. is, is that. Would that make sense, a merger with them? I guess so, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, um, sometimes private companies don't really want to uh, be scrutinised in the public limelight, but just want to have a foot in that camp. Yeah. Um, so it, it's potentially that it may take some time, but um, that really is the only attraction. If you're looking for a recovery stock, and we've talked about this as a dog. Yeah you'd have to look a little bit at Borrell yeah. because it has fallen such a long way um, and it's still really, I mean, it's still in, it could recover. If we got a, um, a change in CEO, which we are getting, Mike Kane is going, he's in the transit lounge. If we yeah. got a, a really well-credentialed, qualified CEO on board to be nominated as the man, um, there could be an opportunity. All right, so uh, a no for Adelaide Brighton. Um, Vincent, uh, the private health insurance market uh, always comes under a lot of scrutiny both from the public and governments uh, NIB Holdings one of the bigger biggest private insurers which um, I think we're recently talking we had the managing director of uh, NIB on a couple of weeks ago here on Osbiz talking about almost a rebate to clients because no one's getting injured <laughs> because they've all stayed at home the last last two months claims are well down Yeah, I mean, if you look at the history of this business, they've actually got quite an impressive earnings track record. Ten years of uninterrupted earnings growth before this year, generates strong returns on capital, has low debt, uh, forecast to pay a solid dividend yield of around 4%, fully franked um, next financial year. There are structural headwinds. 
health insurance affordability has been an issue now for a number of years, and that's flowing through to lower premium increases, which is only going to be exacerbated by high unemployment. Probably going to see increasing lapses out of uh, private health insurance coverage. Uh, interesting the dynamics with the COVID. You know, potentially a beneficiary in the short term um, is you know restrictions have reduced treatments and therefore claims. Uh, although then potentially they're going to be giving that back as a rebate. A longer term, I think the impact is certainly negative in terms of pol policy lapses. Also, they've got an inbound travel insurance business, um, although a smaller mm -hmm. part of their business uh, will, of course, uh, be significantly impacted in the short term. Um, so I'm not a big fan of this stock. I'd, I'd call it a hold. Okay. Henry, what do you reckon of NIB? No, I, I just hate this sector. I yep. mean, whether it's coloured by the fact that I seem to pay a thousand bucks every three months and get absolutely nothing back for it until some, you know, it, it, um, it just doesn't really stack up. I even saw the other day they were talking about allowing, I think it was allowing family members to remain on your uh, health cover till they were up to 30 years old. Oh, so which, you can keep the adult kids on. Yeah, because after a while, they'd, both yeah. my kids have dropped off uh, our health cover. Yeah, um, but it doesn't seem to have got any cheaper, funnily right. enough. Um, <laughs> and they haven't taken it up. And that that's the biggest problem, of course, with an aging population, which is drawing on these private health insurers far more and yeah. young kids not joining for whatever reason, they'd much rather go and spend the money with afterpay, let's face it, yeah. than on their health care. Um, so I just really think there's structural headwinds in this whole sector. Don't and then, like, you, then you layer the regulation. You and, layer the regulation. And, and the politics of it. <laughs> you layer the politics, the regulation, the, the whole, you know, the whole, it just, you know, even the mandated price rises every year and all that, you know, they ask for this and they get that. Um, it just really doesn't sit well with me. And then I'm you know, reading in the paper today about how much the cost of uh, some things in the hospital care system have, have been inflated by um, uh, racket, well not racketeering, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but certainly by, by people profiteering oh, yeah. from, uh, from this, you know, face masks, all these kind of things. The, the price gouging. Price, price gouging, you know, th these guys are not going to be immune to this and, and you yeah. can imagine that uh, going forward hospital costs and aged care costs and all the costs in the health sector are going to increase because we're going to have to be so much more careful about, you know, hygiene, uh, ratios, etc. So it, I just really, nah, yep. doesn't do it for me. I yep. can't see where the growth is going to come from. And it's basically there's a lot less complicated decisions to make on the share market. There, it's just you know it's it's a, it's a government um, mandated business to some extent. You know, yep. they, government says you can put five percent price rise in, great, but they're not going to say hey you can put fifteen percent in. No. So no. it's it's cost out trying to stop people from claiming. Yep. and trying to keep the, the people in the system by marketing and advertising, which costs money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it just really... Okay. And they were right. declined before the, the virus. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so that's a no for NIB. Um, our eighth stock, uh, Vincent, back to the, uh, the property sector, Stockland. When you, talk, when you say they're a property group, they're quite diversified, aren't they? Yeah, focused on um, residential and retail. The stock is trading at a discount to NTA of around 17%, so that uh, sounds interesting, although the business does have to navigate some tricky waters at the moment. I think immigration is likely to be almost zero for the rest of this year, and that contributes over half of our population growth, so that's a major source of housing demand. Um, and then retail, uh, we're facing both high unemployment and then also the accelerated shift to online. You know, if, if the housing market does hold up better than expected, that's probably the upside risk. Uh, on a medium-term view, I think the outlook 
um, for housing is more constructive than retail. Uh, Pre-COVID, we're starting to see some positive price growth through the back half of last year. Supply was under control. And we had three rate cuts last year, and then we've had another two this year. We had the relaxation of APRA's serviceability requirements. But uh, I do think that there's still reason to be cautious in the short in the short term. In terms of valuation, you know, discount to NTA, Ford PE though is, is around where it has been the last few years. Um, pretty strong yield, around 6.7%. Um, but that is still in line with the three-year average despite the more uncertain outlook. Balance sheet's in a strong position, miles away from covenants, so not much risk there. I think overall it's a hold. Okay. All right, a hold for Stockland. Henry, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because <laughs> you've, you've, it's in sort of the shopping centres. It's in everything. And <laughs> residential property. So I notice uh, UD Bale Westfield up something like 8% today, yep. um, just after a, a pretty positive announcement from them going forward, because yep. there's been a lot of focus on these on these shopping centres that the likes of Solly Lou and Premier Investments are all going to beat them down on their rents <laughs> or get out. Yep. And Target's doing the same thing yep. with farmers. So yep. what do you think of Stockland? Uh, Stockland, I mean, it's got a foot in every single camp just about. It's yeah. got, you know, Is that good? Yes, it's good for diversity, yeah. um, and it does cushion them from one particular sector going bad. From commercial, you know, they've got logistics, um, they've got wholesale, they've got residential, they've got lifestyle communities, they've got you know a bit of retirement living going on. So they've got a whole swathe of diversity there. So I think this one looks pretty okay. Um, because of that diversity Um, and you know they've withdrawn guidance but every man and his dog's withdrawn guidance at the moment Uh, they seem to be in a a relatively strong place as far as the balance sheet goes very well respected brand Um, you know clearly there's going to be some issues about the economy and I I suspect we're we're living in a little bit of a fool's paradise at the moment because of the stimulus packages we're seeing what happens after September is going to be interesting whether we fall off that cliff Um, and certainly looking around some of the, you know, some suburbs, there's a lot of empty shops and, and there's mm. a lot of people still missing from the retail uh, shopping world. But I think this has probably got more upside to come. Okay. Uh, it, a, a lot of the, the market's being driven a lot by sentiment at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the sentiment is running hot that we're going to probably get to 6,000, to be honest. And people are looking for stocks that have got leverage to reopening the economy. Yeah. And, of course, Stockland has got massive leverage to that across its whole portfolio. So I think there's probably more upside to come in Stockland, so that's a buy. Oh, okay, so it's a good at this price, because it really hasn't bounced well, much it, at all. Well, it got it? down to, what did it get down to, uh, $1.80, it's now, it's doubled. I mean, there's, yeah. there are lots of things that are doubled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, uh, you know, it was trading at five bucks, so it's still got a little bit of upside. It's probably right. got, you know, another at least 10, 15, 20% upside okay. from here. All right. So, so yes, with exposure to the economy. Yeah, I think it's, up. it's just sentiment at the and moment. And maybe the, the recession not being as bad as everyone thought initially. Well, I, I think, you know, we've seen how far out modelling and forecasting can be. Yeah. We've seen it from the Treasury and the government. We've seen it from you know the, the Imperial College of all people with their with their numbers from uh, casualties in the UK. We've seen it from models about coronavirus and forecasting. Sometimes is really hard. It's, it's yeah. you're just guessing, yeah. um, and I think that's that's part of the reason why the banks are doing so well today because they've made these massive provisions, and yeah. maybe they have got too carried away with the bearishness. So I think yep. we're going to see this recovery yeah, continue. Yeah. 
uh, and that, that's sort of the vibe that's coming out of Scott Morrison a bit at the moment. Well, I, you know, you know, if you can make a, what is it, $60, 70000000000 billion kind of error. I mean, that, that's... <laughs> and, and live with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and spin it as a positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, our ninth stock, uh, um, Victor, back in the, uh, uh, Vincent, in the energy market, energy retailer, AGL. Yeah, so AGL, they're offering a reasonable yield, 5.5%, which is 80% franked. That's around the average of where it's been the last few years. But uh, consensus expectations are for the dividend to reduce by 15% going forward over the next two years. The stock price is, is down 20% from where it was trading in early March. But there are headwinds to earnings. So electricity demand was down 5% in March and April. And electricity prices have fallen materi- materially. There's also an expectation of some bad debts to come through. Yeah, I guess bad debts is part of the, the problem that AGL. There's certainly some structural headwinds in the business. But, you know, this stock really hasn't bounced that hard. No. Um, I think it's a buy at these kind of levels. Uh, I don't think bad debts are going to be quite as bad as, as people think, uh, yeah. at least I hope so. Um, and you know, it seems to have been quite resilient on a lot of fronts and it really hasn't recovered. And I think the market is still looking around for sectors and stocks that have been really damaged. They've sort of been left behind. Left, been, left like. behind. We're yeah. seeing it in the US. You know, last yeah. night we saw the US up, what, 530-odd points. Yeah. Uh, and NASDAQ hardly moved because those stocks have led the market out. Yeah. Um, and now we're seeing that sector rotation. Uh, we've seen it here with the likes. You know, you look at Afterpay. $8.50 to 50 bucks. I mean, that's extraordinary in the side of month. Yep. Um, so, you know, does, stocks... that, does that worry you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it worried me when they were $8.50 because the market was acting irrational uh, at $8.50. I, I suspect the market is, is overshot. And we tend to do that these days in the market because we, we, we're very much momentum and sentiment driven at yeah. the moment because there's no numbers. What, what can you hang your hat yeah. on? You yeah. just got to find something to kind of secure your, yeah. your place in the crowd. And um, I think AGL has been left behind. I think okay. it's got potential upside. You know, it wasn't long ago. It was 19, 20 bucks. Not the most yeah. exciting stock in the world, no. but nice and safe and relatively defensive. You know, we all need energy. It doesn't seem to go down in price yeah. um, ever. Um, and here we are at $16.60. Yeah, okay. So it, it's, you know, it's all right. Got, Got some upside, I think. So, and a dividend as well? Yeah, it pays, it pays a relatively good dividend, but as, okay. as Vincent says, you know, there's probably going to be cuts to dividends, but right. hey, we're getting used to that. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> that, that's now the sort of the default setting is that companies either defer or cut dividends. Yep. Um, so for me, AGL looks interesting okay. here. Great. All right. So a yes from uh, Henry on AGL, a no from Vincent, and our fighter one, Vincent, um, a heavy machinery basically rental business uh, skewed towards that mining and earthworks and, and infrastructure. Um, how do you pronounce that? Emiko, is it, or Amico? Emiko, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the stock's really been sold down heavily through the pandemic, uh, down to $1 from briefly touching $2.50. Uh, the, the long-term share price isn't the most attractive either. At one point, it was uh, eleven dollars seventy back in two thousand eleven. The company's actually reported a loss in four out of the last ten years, um, and earnings expectations have progressively been revised down over the, over the last year, even before COVID. But all that is reflected in the valuation. It's on a very low PE of around five times now. The balance sheet is okay at one point eight times, give or take net debt to EBITDA. Um, 
and the fallen share price has also been much greater than the fallen the earnings expectations. So if we look at the FY21 year, um, EPS has been revised down by 17% since the end of January, and the stock price has fallen 54%. Um, so I'm not sure what, what the market's saying there, but uh, as long as, as the um, the company's still got earnings and there's still investment going on in the mining sector, there's uh, potentially a speculative buy. Okay. Henry, talking of stocks that have been left behind. Tonka Toys. These, these yeah. guys. These, these guys. These are, are the big, big, big trucks. Yeah. And they got into a bit of trouble a few years ago because the market was obsessed with them paying a dividend. They didn't pay a dividend. They reinvested the money into more Tonka Toys. Um, the problem they've got is debt. Um, they've got some, uh, some corporate debt, which was rolling off kind of due very soon. They pushed that out, so that's really helped things. But it was a race against time to, to pay down that debt. Um, that seems to have been at least solved, but certainly some of the notes they had out there, there was some concern in the market, and they've gone to great lengths to try and roll those out. So I think it's, it's a speculative buy here. Yep. Um, you know, mining has been one of the, the areas that probably has been least affected by this, apart from digital, because of their remote nature, yep. um, because of the fly-in, fly-out restrictions that WA put in place to begin with, and the gold price and the iron ore price. Mining hasn't been a bad place to be, although CapEx spending is down, but a lot of the stuff that Emico does is just trucking dirt yeah. from one place to another. Which, which you've got to have. Which you've got, which you've got to do. You know, Fortescue's got to, got to keep doing the dirt. That's what mining does. So yeah. I think at these sorts of levels, it's a speculative buy, but it's, okay. it's not without risk because of that debt profile it's got with the notes. Uh, no for Adelaide, Brighton uh, from both Vincent and Henry. NIB, a hold from Vincent, a no from uh, Henry. Stockland, a hold from Vincent and an interesting buy from um, from Henry, uh, a buy for AGL from Henry at at these low prices because it hasn't been swept up at all the rest of the market. A sell from Vincent and Emico a speculative buy. That gets through our our ten stocks for today. Don't forget if you want to suggest any stocks to us, and thank you for the uh, for the masses of suggestions that we're getting at the moment. Uh, you can email them through the call at osbiz.com.au or via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is osbiztv. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.